I'm holding in my hand a small workbook. It's white, and in black letters, it says, Life Brief. On the first page, it says, The Life Brief is a practice of reimagining what's possible while connecting to what's true, freeing us from envy, confusion, and regret. It is not a plan. It is a tool for creative living. And as you turn the pages of this little book, you find a series of questions that could quite literally change your life. The creator of this workbook is none other than Bonnie Wan, partner and director of brand strategy for Goodby Silverstein and Partners. You know, the agency of record for little brands like BMW, Cheetos, Doritos, Mountain Dew, Pepsi. No big deal. In other words, Bonnie has a big job at a company that is kicking quite a lot of ass. And not only that, Bonnie has four children. Suffice it to say, I am in awe of her in general, but I'm in even greater awe that she found the time and the energy and the heart to develop the life brief, not just for the lucky folks at Goodby, but for all of us. I got the chance to sit down with Bonnie recently and get the backstory on the life brief and how we might use it to live better. I hope you enjoyed as much as I did. What is the life brief and how did you come up with it? Well, I didn't come up with it. I think it, it came up through me in a moment of despair. It was a reflex, really. I mean, I have been a strategist, a creative strategist in advertising for years and years and years, more years than I even care to remember. Um, <laughs> so I think, you know, as a strategist, you're really trained. And I think my superpower as a strategist is to break things down, distill, distill, distill until I get to the essence of whatever it is, the problem, the situation, the brand, the idea that's training. That is intellectual training. And I think, you know, what we do as strategists is once we get it down to that essential nugget, then we create and expand. And then all kinds of possibilities come up. So those are my two reflexes in life, in work. Distill, distill. What's at the heart of what's going on? What is the clarity in order to move forward? And then how do we just reimagine what is possible? That's what we do at work all the time. So when my life hit a major bump. My marriage hit a major bump. Not its first, not its last, but definitely a momentous one. That was my first reflex. Let's break it down. Wow. What's going on? What matters most? So the life brief just came out, vomited out of me. (laughs) But this is what I love about you, Bonnie. Like most people would hit that bump and like be like, I am out of here. Bye. Oh yeah. But your instinct is to be like, no, wait, hold on. Let's just, like, that's what's so magical about you. Anyway, keep going. Well, I think that that was a first, no, that was an emergency moment because that would be the next moment. Let's break not just break it down, but let's break out. Let's not do this thing. But I just had my third child. We were in those early, early days, Brutal. you know? Um, and I, 
I had all the questions, you know, and am I with the right person? Is this what I want? You know, everyone else's life. Social media was just really percolating then, you know. Wow, everyone's lives look so great. And they go on great vacations. Oh my God, yeah. they're in stunning places. They're eating great food. Yeah. Why is my life feel so shitty? Everybody's you having know? way more sex. Oh my God, <laughs> yes. Forget sex. I had three kids, you know. But, exactly. but somehow those kids so, did come out to the world. Three you know? times, yeah. <laughs> they did find yeah. their way. Yeah. So I must have been doing something. Um, <laughs> and then had a fourth. Um, doesn't stop. Anyways, but it just it just became an act of desperation, I think. Mm -hmm. And a reflex. Got it. And it just boiled down to, boom, what matters right now? And that came out. And to clarify terms for people that aren't in advertising, what does the word brief mean in the context of an account? Because in advertising, you say, oh, that, what's the brief? You know exactly what you mean. But for those who aren't familiar with that lingo, like, what does it mean? I mean, it is what the word means, brief. Yeah. The most concise DNA of an idea, a strategy, a brand, a person. Why do they exist? You know, what matters? What's the most important and significant or interesting thing that we need to focus on to rally everyone around, you know? And for me, for the life brief, what it does now is it's clarifying, one. And once you have that clarity, your clarity is really, to me, your intentions. Yeah. You know, what matters. Call it intention. Call it ambition if that mm. puts a fire in your belly, mm -hmm. you know. But what happens when you clarify that intention or ambition, mm -hmm. it immediately redirects where you place your attention. Now, attention is the most scarce and valuable thing Amen. these days, right? Yep. Where is our attention? Mm -hmm. It's all over the place. So the act of clarifying and sharpening mm -hmm. and getting to the essence of it, boom, there's your attention now. Now you have reset your attention and the outcome of that, which is completely organic, is now your action. Right. Which are the choices you make, you know. And all the extraneous bullshit sort of falls out. away. So is the life brief a series of questions that you ask? Yeah. So I think there's all kinds of questions and exercises. And I think it's mm -hmm. very easy to think that it's a thing. But for me, it's really a practice. Mm. So good. Right? So it's a practice of clarifying mm -hmm. through writing. So I am a person who resists writing. I mean, I have to do it all the time for my job, but this is my secret and now I've revealed it. You know, it's my great <laughs> handicap. I, I, I don't like to write. I like to do this, have a yeah. conversation. I find writing very my, difficult. Channel my, you know, stuff. Yeah. I, I want to speak. But the thing is, is that our minds, it, usually we're not speaking what we want either, right? We're just laying in bed or, you know, little mm -hmm. thoughts come in and out. It's very forgiving, our minds. It, they're very wide, vague, you know, you can, you can just get away with a lot. Writing isn't, doesn't work like that, right? I have a poet friend. I love him. Roger Housden. He's, he's brilliant. And he says, writing rearranges the furniture of our mind. Mm. God, that's so true. And for me, writing is an act of commitment. It's mm -hmm. your first act mm -hmm. of committing to what's important, 
right? You got to mm-hmm. make choices. Mm-hmm. You got to choose those words. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And then the beautiful thing about writing is it stares back at you. And I think there's a lot of people, Bonnie, that are afraid of that step because oh, they're yeah. afraid of what they're going to see. Oh, yeah. It's interesting when I work with people on doing the life brief, right? Mm-hmm. Everyone loves the idea. Mm-hmm. <gasps> That's an interesting idea. Mm-hmm. You know? Oh, yeah. I get that. I need that. So there's a magnetism to the idea. And then there's the act of doing it, which then I find it's very easy to procrastinate and resist and make excuses. And and none of that is wrong. I I have no judgment because sometimes it has to show up when it shows up. It vomited out of me the first time, but largely because it was a long time in coming. I'd been swirling with questions. I mean inundated with questions. In fact, I was exhausted with the questions that the act of writing was a relief. You know, get the questions out. Just out. At a certain point, the baby becomes too heavy. It needs to get out. You got to give birth. (laughs) You got to give birth. Oh, you can't carry it inside anymore. And that's really what happened that first time. And the practice of it is to come back to it again and again, Mm -hmm. you know, um, when it calls to you and to say, okay, is it still true? And, And Every time you, it stares back at you, you can't control it. Mm-hmm. This is the beautiful thing, right? You react. Because it is what it is. Yeah, you read it and you're like, nope. Or yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Still true. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. Good reminder, right? Or mm, not anymore. This is not the right word. Or it's not quite this. I, I, now I've learned something. So the writing just becomes the clay that forms into this really wonderful compass, but also springboard. Because yes. once you have it right there, yeah. you start to see your world immediately differently. And you start to see yourself as the leading star in your world yeah. instead of the bit player in somebody else's yeah. nightmare. Yes. And to me, like, in fact, when I coach people that are in very intense companies, I was just working with a group recently where there's huge personalities. And one of the things I talk about is not taking things personally because then you can see what's actually being said without taking, absorbing the blows. Oh my gosh. And everybody always says, well, that's so easy to say, but how do you do it? And one of the first things you have to do is have some sort of centering yes. activity to remember like, who the hell, who am I? Yes. Why am I here? What's my deal? So much about authenticity, right? That's just become the the banner of this generation, you know? Um, But what is authenticity really? How do we unpack it? And I think it's so easy, again, going back to the attention Mm -hmm. problem, right? Mm -hmm. We're so distracted. We're living in other people's dreams. That's it. You know, and it's not even their realities. Somewhere intellectually, we know this, but there's there's a great thing Roger talks about too. There's a difference between knowledge, yeah. that stuff in our head, and knowing. Yeah. You know, that deep, deep wisdom that we all hold. Yeah. And we get so caught up every minute of the day with that knowledge, the heady, the cerebral, you know, that and, the noise. And also, I feel like our egos get very invested in distracting us from having that conversation with ourselves because it requires stepping out in faith sometimes, it requires doing something that's not very popular. So as you've been out exposing people to the life brief here at the agency, out at speaking engagements, what are people reacting to? What do they like about it or what are they saying about it? It's deeply uncomfortable. (laughs) For me and for the people that I workshop this with, you know. So as a speaker, especially at the agency, you know, we're we're, we're trained and conditioned to nail the presentation, you know, go in the client and 
show them more what we got. Show them the goods. Show them the ideas. Wow them, right? And and often, if we're lucky, we're successful at that. And it, there's this rush of adrenaline, and you see it in their faces. They're so happy because they, you've solved their problem in a really unexpected way. You know, we don't always nail that, but usually you get some degree of that. When I present the life brief, or especially when we do a workshop on it, because this is really not about what it is or why it matters. It's about now it's your turn, right? At the end, now I go into this with a bit of warning. (laughs) We're unpacking stuff. Yeah, get ready. Get ready. And there's often some tears. Yeah. You know, it, 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 it's kind of like parenting Mm. and I don't mean to make that analogy in a dumbed down way, but there's no instant gratification. There is a something deep that happens and there is something fulfilling and meaningful about that, but it's not comfortable because we are facing truths that we've been holding in and now they're coming out of, we're we're birthing them, right? And we're putting them into writing. So we're not acknowledging and we're admitting and only to ourselves. I I don't ask anybody to share anything. It's very private, but we've created the space for you to do it. And we've created the questions that access these. And then we've asked you to do the craft and commitment of writing it down. And when people go through that, sometimes those truths are surprising. Sometimes they're downright shocking. And sometimes they go against all of the rules we have created in our heads and on our minds about how life works or how our life should look. I have a question for you on that because you're, you're a super intuitive person and speaker and leader in all different directions. And you are super familiar with the deeper voice that lives inside of you that went on a good day. Mm-hmm. On a good day. Right. Yeah. I have to say yeah, that for yeah, myself yeah. too, because all these wonderful things I teach, yeah. it's a good day thing. Yes. Right? No, absolutely. I'm have so bad glad days. you pointed that out. But you're really good at hearing that deeper sense of intuition, that second deeper voice. Not the voice of the busy monkey mind, but the voice that is ready to answer those very challenging questions. You're used to that voice inside of yourself. Do you find that for other people, that intuitive, deep voice is a new voice for them yes. to listen to? Yes. Absolutely. And that's why I call it a practice. It's not something that you you get on the bike and you learn it and boom, you know, you're going whizzing down the street. It takes practice. And I don't know that we raise our kids Mm. to listen to that inner voice, right? Because we're trying to make them listen to our voice. That's right. That's (laughs) right. Even the best of parents with the best intentions, Mm -hmm. that's what we want, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Um, Do this, not that. You know, we're guarding them from the dangers of life, you know, of the world. It's a scary world out there, you know, and we don't want them to relive our mistakes or much less live their own mistakes, right? Mistakes are scary and... Yeah, pain and all of that stuff. All out of good intention. But I think the practice Mm -hmm. just right at the start is where's that knowing place? What's that knowing place? What's that inner voice telling you? God, I need to do a better job of that. We all do. Do you think I do do that at home? No. I need to incorporate that into my good day strategy, but that, that deep voice, do you use that with your kids? Do you ever teach your, your children? We have a name for it. Do we, do we use it all the time? No, not in the fury of schedules, four kids, two adults, you know, life. Yeah. But they do know the knowing place. The knowing place. Yeah. 
So we I do know that. Love that. What's your knowing place saying? Do I ask that? No, not all the time. But they understand. And when we watch a pivotal movie or when we watch Star Wars, yes. right? Yes. We oh, talk about so what is good. the force? The force is the knowing place. Oh that's my God. that thing inside you that speaks to you, and that's what Luke is listening to, you know? And that's amazing. So we can use when the opportunity reveals itself. Yeah. We can go there. We yeah. have a name for it, yeah. right? But that's the practice of the life brief. Yeah, I meet people all the time. I remember my first workshop we did here at the agency. I call it my coming out of the closet moment because <laughs> this was like bearing, bearing my innards, you know, yeah. in, in a professional setting. That was really scary. There was a man, a really successful, great rising star in this place, you know, and, he, you know, he, he's destined to be a great leader. And he said, what if you have never admitted to yourself what you really want? It broke my heart. Oh my gosh. You know, but I, I think he was speaking for a lot of the other people in the room. So what advice do you give to somebody who's literally saying, I can't do this right now because if I have to own what I don't want to own, it'll break me. And I say, that's okay, but practice it. Open it up a little bit more, you know, each time. That's amazing. When you feel ready, you know, and you're never going to feel confident about doing it because it's uncomfortable, right? But you can test your courage. I loved hearing this in another podcast. Somebody said, confidence is overrated. So true. Right? We all talk about want to raise confident kids. So true. But courage is the ability to act even without confidence. Oh, it's so you know? true. It's like that myth of fearlessness. There's no such freaking thing as fearlessness. No, no. There's just doing it and then yeah. doing some more of it and then keeping going. And that's why I like to say this is a practice. Yeah. This is not about the thing. Right. Right? Right. It's about the act of committing yeah. through writing and putting it down so you can look. It's a mirror back mm. to you and you mm. go, nope, it's almost there. It, it's... Almost true, you know. But and I almost true is still good still enough. Still great for, as an early practice, right? Hey, putting any words on paper, yeah, is a great act. is a great start. That's an accomplishment. So, how do people get hold of this life brief? Well, we created a workbook here at the agency with all the questions, the exercises. You know, we have a, our ex head of design here designed a beautiful thing, you know, to make it inviting, playful, even. Because this is this is hard do I, work. Do this I get to? Like, yeah, can I yeah, yeah. I'll give you a couple of these. <laughs> I'll buy one. Um, but you, you know, these are, and I say, hey, you know what? These are made to look disposable and made to look really fun, right? Because you, buy three of them. You know, take three. Yeah. And put your coffee stain on it. This yeah. is not precious. Right. Oh. This is not precious. So, okay, hold on. Can we please talk about preciousness for a second? Because I find that one of the terrible associations people have with personal growth, with working on yourself, with journaling is preciousness. Oh yeah. And it drives perfectionism right? or just like, it drives me crazy. It's supposed to be dirty and muddy and bloody and crazy and wild. So how do people get it though? Can they get it from yes. a website? Now, now we've created a little website, thelifebrief.com. So people can just buy these things. They come in packs of three. You can buy one, but it's just, to me, make it disposable. It's like it's like the creative process, yes. right? Yes, yes. 
my best art teacher as an adult, we would have to paint for three hours on one craft piece of paper. No canvases, no like precious things, you know. And then after three hours of pouring, I mean, you you know, after 15 minutes, I'm like, oh, I like what I have. I'm done. Good. Let's do another one. He's like, no, no, no. You got two hours and 45 minutes left. I'm like, what? What am I going to do? Well, you got to keep going, right? And then at the end, I'm like, wow, this thing is pretty deep. I, I don't know that I like it or not like it. And he's like, throw it away. <gasps> you know? <laughs> and what I love about this is, again, it's a practice of not being precious, not being attached, going further than your intention, discover something new, push yourself, yeah, push yourself, yeah. push yourself through the discomfort and then throw it away. That's it. Oh God, I love that. You know, and that's love what these are that. meant to be. They're not meant to, you know, cement, but it's nice to keep a record of it and see how it evolves over time. But this is that amazing dichotomy. What's the word I'm looking for? When two things that can't possibly be true at the same time are actually true at the same time. Oh, there's a fancy word for it, and I can't. Oh, I'm not going to be able to help I you. I can't remember the word. <laughs> Damn it, I would have been so impressive. But anyway, it, paradox. Ah, yes, paradox. yes. But this is, I think, the paradox of growth is we have to treat it like it's no big fucking deal, but also do it as if it is a really big fucking deal. Here's Both my, things. I, I think the problem right now that I experience in all dimensions, right, is discomfort, we're not, um, we're too spoiled. We are. We reach for our devices. Oh, yeah. We are living in a constant state of comfort. We're always handing comfort over to our kids. Just, oh, we want to make them comfortable. It's so hard to sit with their anger and frustration and their meltdown. We just want to soothe, soothe, That's right. soothe. We That's want to right. soothe ourselves That's right. with content, more content, you know, distraction. We're shy about getting into the muck in meetings, right? And holding the space for real debate that doesn't get personal, you know? You talk all the time about tough conversations. Mm -hmm. Why do we avoid them? Because they're uncomfortable. They're so uncomfortable. It's so incredibly true. Oh my God, it's so true. And I feel like when you really allow yourself, in fact, if you're listening and you want to try a great exercise, homework assignment, listening people, the next time a really intense conversation comes up, sit with it and notice where you store it in your body. I store mine in my shoulders and it right between my eyes is my point of tension, but just getting used to the body feelings yes. of what our bodies tend to do when we're uncomfortable yes. lets you breathe, breathe into those places and that makes you more resilient, don't you think? Absolutely. And my body, I've been experiencing a lot of this chest wall. Like mm. I just have this armor and I, I find it hard to breathe. I am, and I, I'm pretty well practiced at the breathing thing, but you know, diversity is a huge conversation right mm. now in business. Oh, please. Yes gender diversity and I'm already feeling it right now, right? I'm st starting to kind of burp well, because or whatever. Because it, it doesn't feel like a safe topic. Yeah. No, no, no. And I, you know, you know, especially I'm mean, speaking into a microphone, I'm going to step in it if I go into this topic, right? Like That's exactly right. Step in it. But it's part of this exercise and it is the practice that we all have to dive into, you know, or wade into mm -hmm. whatever it is, mm -hmm. but just move into it. Mm -hmm. 
at the pace that you will. Mm-hmm. Can I ask you a question about yeah. diversity? Yeah. So I was in a conversation recently, and there was a comment made by a gentleman who I love very, very much. He said, you know, a lot of us men don't want to hire women anymore because we're pretty sure if we do something they don't like or we tell them no, they'll slap us with a sexual harassment lawsuit. And I, I'm not proud of this, but I was very triggered by that comment. And I reacted probably poorly. But Wait, it, you're not proud of being triggered? I was so <laughs> pissed. I was like, well, that's uh, something a coward would say. <laughs> I mean, I really attacked. It was terrible. Don't that's do what I do. That's my feeling exactly, by but, the way. But, I, but, but there is also the reality is, yes, it's a fear-based reaction, it that is. comment. But a lot, I hear that from multiple people, not just the guy who said it. Lots of people are saying it under the covers and only the people that are like, I don't know, Trump-esque will say it out loud. What do you say to people when they have that feeling, Bonnie? Because you're out there on the speaking circuit talking about diversity on panels or whatever. What do you make of that argument? Let's appreciate the honesty in that yeah. because there is truth in it, yeah. which is fear, right? I applaud that. The rest of the statements around that, you know, and the fears around that, I have my own judgments about. But yes, at the root of it, it is fear, right? Let's talk about fear and business, Mm. right? Mm. Let's just take those simple concepts, right? The businesses that you want to get behind, you want to put your purchasing power behind, you want to wear their logo on your sweatshirt, are they fear-based businesses? Do you love the brands who operate from a fear base? What what about as a shareholder? Do you want to know that your business leaders are operating from a state of fear? Let's look at where fear gets us and and, and our associations of fear. We actually, I mean, we're a society, we don't like fear. We like courage, confidence, Mm -hmm. bravery. Mm -hmm. These are the themes, right? And then for business leaders to talk about talent and the environments they create and use fear as the excuse, that's pretty ballsy. <laughs> yeah, and, and not in a good way. Yeah, not in a good way. Yeah. You know, fear is never going to get us anywhere. And I also feel like with anything, if you're not coming at it from fear, can you come at it from a place of optimism and positivity? So I, once I recovered from attacking this man, I said, I said, you know, if you were a client, I would say, let's pick three of the most promising minority or women people in your organization and how might you mentor them? Really meant like lift the people that you want to lift up. And he was like, oh yeah, there are some people that I really admire that I would love to see win. And I I was like, that's where you park the intention, right? But like when you're out talking about diversity and, and I'm sure, you know, the advertising industry has its own version of the me too thing. How do you get people to come out of the fear box and into those harder conversations? I think one of the dangers about all of these conversations, right? And they are messy. Mm. They're messy. They're uncomfortable. Everyone's stepping in it because there is fear. But I think the enemies can be misleading. I think the fear comes from people being attacked on the wrong basis, right? This is not about the enemy is not men. Mm -mm. Gender is for sure involved. But what's deeper than that, right? Let's get... Again, let's play with how do we distill this further into the heart of the issue? The heart of the issue is abuse of power, right? 100%. Unchecked, unchallenged 
abuse the, of power. It's the same thing playing out in the Catholic Church. It That's played right. out in the U.S. gymnastics right. team, Harvey Weinstein. That's you're right. right. You're absolutely right. It's right. an abuse of power. So I think men feel attacked. And, and in some cases, they're valid for feeling that. Let's not distract ourselves from the real issue. The real issue is when we allow sameness, right, to be in a facet of protectionism. Preach. A protectionism for, again, abuse of power. When we feel that we have sole power to push ourselves and our agenda on people without conversation, without respect, without empathy, all those human traits that really, you know, that, that, that make humanity what it is. Mm -hmm. So let's not make this about race or gender in terms of where we put the blame. And I think the, a terrible cost would be if one gender rises and in order to do that, another has to fall. That zero or sum one game race, shit. Yep. you know, rises and now has the platform so the other, you know, white Caucasians fall, you know, because people of color are rising. That is, we're, we're, we're not getting to the real issue. Which right? is the real power. issue is power. There's this novel called The Power by Naomi Alderman, mm. who is a oh, handmaid's tale, Margaret Atwood's oh, daughter. Oh gosh. And it's about this exact issue. It's about women rising in power and things going fucking sideways because it doesn't matter the gender, it's the power that corrupts. That's right. It's so right. true. So, okay, Bonnie, I want to be so respectful of your time because we are past 20 minutes. In fact, that's okay. It's 31 minutes. It's okay. So, what I want to do is ask you just one final question, which is when you think about people who are listening to this, who are driving to work and they're driving to jobs that they, you know, they like, they may not love them and they're trying to be the best version of themselves. And they're afraid to do a life examination in the form of a life brief because they're afraid of what it could mean for their livelihoods. They're afraid of what it could mean for how they interact in their relationships or marriages. They're just afraid. Mm -hmm. What advice do you have for them? I'll just say what I believe in my heart of hearts. You can create the life you want to live. It is not hard. It is possible. We can be as creative about our lives as we are for our clients, our companies, our businesses. You know, we talk about innovation. We can be as creative about our lives as we are for our businesses. Yeah. That is beautiful. Yeah. All you have to do is start, right? It will unfold on its own. You don't have to rush the process. Just starting is everything. Just that next right step. That's right. I love that. I love that. And I love you, Bonnie. Oh my God. I think you're Bronwyn, the greatest. I love you so much. <laughs> is that okay I to just, say? I, I like love this. you. <laughs> thank you so much. Oh my gosh. Thank you. You're amazing. What an honor. Oh, thank you. <laughs> 